Well, good morning. Thanks for joining us. If you're wondering why Kirk Taylor isn't up the first two weeks after Easter, he was originally scheduled to get jaw surgery, just sort of an alignment thing so that he could still eat and talk 30 years from now. They push it off till next month, so he'll be up next week. But this has been a long-term process. In fact, even back when he was in Houston, he was getting various kinds of braces to sort of get his jaw ready for the surgery. And I know back then, Kurt was a little embarrassed given his age. In fact, I even heard him say, because he's candidating here, right, to be senior pastor, he says, who's gonna hire a senior pastor who wears braces? Aren't we glad 11 elders here in Highlands Ranch said we will? But I have to confess, coming from a generation before Kurt, it was hard for me to feel too sorry for him because when I would look at him hard, a lot of times, I couldn't even really tell he was wearing braces. In my generation, if you were wearing braces, you knew you were wearing braces. Your neighbors knew you were wearing braces. Satellites in space knew you were wearing braces because they put two pounds of metal in your face chew up the inside of your mouth so they give you wax, but that gave you bad breath. And then sometimes on these head braces that you had to wear, no way you were getting to first base on a date wearing those things and those orthodontics back then. And then, remember those kind of braces? And then once a month, just when you started to feel halfway human and normal and could eat, your mom would take you to the orthodontist and they would do what they called adjustments. All right, I don't want you to lose your breakfast for you younger people, but here's what they mean by adjustments. You've got two pounds of metal in your face. The orthodontist comes in with a pair of pliers and literally wrenches them until you feel like your mouth is in a vice. I know, why would they do that? Obviously, they hated adolescence in my generation, all right? They think some juvenile delinquent they had to get back at, but boy, did they get payback for that. Those were the kind of braces I grew up with. So did Pastor Steve Byers. He's my generation. And he talked about going to an office that had two different orthodontists. And they would skip months. It's just sort of a work thing. I don't know. So he would go in the first month and the orthodontist would do his work. And the next month, Steve would go into a chair and the other orthodontist would look in his mouth and go, and he would undo what the orthodontist had done the month before and redo something else. So then the next month, Steve comes back. And now the first original orthodontist looks in and goes, oh, no. And he would undo that and he would redo. This went on for months until the orthodontist realized they were waging war in Steve's mouth. And a lot of pain was resulting because of that. Now, it's one thing to have two different views about how to treat somebody's teeth. It's an entirely different thing to have conflicting systems about what truth we will follow. All of us are making decisions and we have these assumptions. You could call it our operating system. You could call it your beliefs. Something that is determining why you do what you do, why you make the decisions that you make, what kind of job you get 
Whether you get married, why you would stay married, why you think you might be able to get unmarried, how you spend your money, how you spend your time. There is an operating system, a system of truth that you're going by that leads you to make those decisions. What I want to ask you this morning, is it the very best system you could choose? Have you just accepted it unthinkingly? Or do you believe there is no better system to base your truth on? In our continuing series, I have questions. We're talking this morning about the relevance of scripture. Can a book written thousands of years ago be relevant in 2023? And I would like to make the case that there is no more relevant resource, no truer resource, no more comprehensive resource to guide your life by than God's word, the Bible. Now, some might say, well, you say the Bible and you say God's word. Can you really put those two together? Yes, I believe we can. I believe when this book speaks, God speaks. When Paul was writing to the Romans in chapter three, it's a whole different discussion, but he says something that just shows his passion. He, he, he's that. What advantage do the Jews have? Because he's talking to Gentiles. He goes much in every way. What was the first advantage of the Jews? Look at the, the reverence of these words. First of all, the Jews have been trusted with the very words of God. He's referring to the Old Testament, but he says, this isn't just history, it's not just poetry. These are the very words of God. And he's so grateful for that. And then when he writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, all scripture, all scripture is God-breathed. It comes out from God when this book speaks. God speaks. If you want to hear God, we can find his words in here. It is a miracle. It's a treasure. So I want us to go into Psalm 19, and we're going to see just how relevant and how powerful it is. First verse we're going to read is this from 19.7. The law of the Lord is perfect. Perfect. Now, by law, he's not just referring to the Ten Commandments. He's not just referring to what we would consider straight out laws. You're going to see a lot of different words in this chapter, it uses different words, basically speaking of the revelation of God revealed in Scripture. And he says it's perfect. Now, going back to where I began, every one of us have some kind of law that governs what we do. A lot of laws that you might have. Let's look at some of the laws that you might be following. The first law might be this, your desires. I want to do this. I don't want to do that. So I'm going to base my life. I'm going to direct my life based on what I desire to do. Let me ask you, are your desires perfect? Maybe your thinking is your desire. What you think you should do. I think I should do that. I don't think I should do that. So I'm just going to do whatever I think I should do. And I, I get that. But I want to ask you, is your thinking perfect? 
Maybe it's your feelings. If I do this, I will feel bad. If I don't do that, I'll, I'll, I'll feel bad. I'll feel good if I do this. I'm going to do what I feel like I should do. But again, I want to ask you, are your feelings perfect if they're always directing your life? Or maybe it's your friends or, or your coworkers. Everybody says I should do this. Everybody says I shouldn't do that. And it's what the popular opinion is. And so I'm just going to go along with the crowd. And I, I get peer pressure. But let me ask you, are your friends perfect? In case there's any doubt, let me answer all four. No, no, no. And no, none of them is perfect. Only God's word is perfect, perfectly true, perfectly relevant. Now, it has to be interpreted the right way. Some of it's poetry, some of it's wisdom literature. They're not direct laws, they're general principles and proverbs for life. Some is prophecy, some is didactic letters teaching, but properly understood properly interpreted and received this law, these words, they're perfect. There's no better resource by which to live our life. The next thing we're told is that it revives the soul. Sin beats us up. And then we respond in sin and we go from one bad decision to another. And if you have found yourself running into a rock wall because you followed what you think you should do, how you feel you should do, what your desires are, or what some friends have told you to do, and you said, this hasn't worked out. My life is a mess. Going back to the perfect word of God will revive your soul. See, this isn't a book of do's and don'ts that are legalistic and keep you down. This is like an oxygen mask. If you're exhausted and barely able to breathe because you believe the lives of this world, you put that oxygen mask on and you're revived. You know what? It's like the first sip of coffee in the morning, right? Half dead. You get that first, oh yeah, now I'm awake. Now I'm there. That's the role that scripture plays. It revives our souls. Next, we're told the statutes of the Lord are trustworthy. Couldn't depend on them if we can't trust them. This is as important as anything. My wife and I were just a couple weeks ago hiking the Three Sisters Trails. One of the things we're loving about Colorado is incredible trails out here. And if you've been out, Three Sisters, you know it's a popular one. A lot of you go up pretty high. So we're going uphill and another couple is hiking downhill. And uh, I step off because we're going uphill. And I said, hi. And I said, I know you've got the right of way because you're going downhill. She goes, actually, no, you have the right of way. And they left, and I'm not going to argue with them, but I'm telling Lisa, oh, she's so wrong. I know, I know I've read it. I, it makes no sense. It's much easier to stop going uphill than down. I know she's so wrong. I'm, I'm just curious. How many think that I was right that the person going downhill has the right of way? Come on. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. How many people think that other couple was right? That that... Okay, if you think I'm wrong the state of Colorado agrees with you, all right? <laughs> I checked on the website, the person going downhill actually 
has the right, which makes no sense to me. I'm sure it's wrong, but I'm not trustworthy. You shouldn't follow me. I'm not the authority. And same thing with scripture. We can trust it because it comes from the ultimate authority. There are a lot of systems in this world that will try to woo us away. Maybe it's atheism. I can do whatever I want. You think that's gonna make you happy. Maybe it's the latest pop psychologist. I'm sure they must be right. Maybe it's the latest international religious leader until you read, he did what? And you put your hope and your trust and you realize that that source that was guiding me, that was leading me, that I depended upon, it's not trustworthy. This is given by God. It's time tested. There is no more trustworthy source to depend upon in this life. If you follow these truths, not just know them, but follow them, you'll be led, I believe, to joy, healthier relationships, ultimately salvation by learning and following these truths. Now, some people think that's ridiculous, which is why the scripture addresses that because it says it's not only trustworthy, it makes wise the simple. Another way to translate that in Hebrew is babes. It makes wise the babes. Here's why a lot of people don't get much out of the Bible. They think they're smarter than the Bible. They do, I know we laugh, but some people, nah, I I think I'm smarter than the Bible. If we don't approach the Bible with humility, we won't learn. We won't grow from it. We'll critique it instead, instead of gain from its truth. John Calvin has this powerful phrase. Every man is wedded to himself. How difficult it is to eradicate from our minds the vain confidence of our own wisdom. Why do people not read scripture? Please leave this up for a second. Because they don't think they need it. They think their own wisdom is sufficient or even superior. We're so wedded to ourselves. It is so hard to eradicate from our minds that confidence that we know everything we need to know and that if we believe it, it must be true. I'm a one on the Enneagram, which means I'm a rule follower, which means I'm very obnoxious to be married to because it bothers me when people don't follow the rules. I try not to let it bother me, but it does. And so of course I marry a woman who really doesn't worry about following all the rules. And so we're a young couple. I mean, we were so young in Washington state and Lisa would come out of the house and she's wearing flip-flops. I'd say, well, I guess I have to drive. She goes, why? I go, it's against the law to drive in flip-flops. Are you laugh? In the state of Washington, it, it still is. I checked this week. There is a law. You are not allowed to drive in flip-flops in the state of Washington. And so I said, you can't wear flip-flops. It's against the law to drive in flip-flops. And Lisa goes, no, it's not. I do it all the time. I said, just because you do it all the time doesn't mean it's legal. But that's where we think, is it now flip-flops are silly. I doubt it's ever been enforced. It doesn't really matter. It's not that substantive. But isn't that true of so many things? If we do it, all the time, it must be okay. 
The Bible calls that a hard heart. The Bible says we are in danger of a seared conscience. And that's why we need God's word to soften our heart, to awaken our conscience, to break through and say, you might think that, but you're wrong. This word is true. We, we are not naturally wise. We think we are, but we're not. The Bible would argue the other way. We are not naturally wise. How do we become wise? Young people, how do you become extraordinarily wise? Psalm 19, 119, 99. I have more insight than my teachers, for I am always thinking of your laws. We get insight when we meditate on scripture and think of what God has to say. Now, here's, this, here's the tough truth. Get ready for this. If scripture is trustworthy, when you disobey scripture, you're betting that God is wrong. You're basing your success on the fact that God doesn't really know what he's talking about. If scripture is trustworthy as it says it is, and you think, no, I disagree, you're betting that God is wrong, that he doesn't really know what he's talking about. The next thing we're told is that the commands of scripture, the teaching of scripture are radiant. They give light to the eyes. One of the many things I love about being married to Lisa is that she reads God's word voraciously. She seeks his wisdom and his practical direction. Earlier this year, I was in Missouri for a week. I did a marriage conference Monday or Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And then on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I did a series of lectures and chapels at a university. Lisa was with me and we got through the marriage conference and Sunday night, two very concerning phone calls. My dad in his 90s had fallen and broken his hip. Uh, a family member really needed some help. Lisa wanted to stay with me. She wanted support. She knew it was a busy week. She was scared, what should I do? So she wakes up early Monday morning goes across the street from the hotel to an independent coffee shop, which is her favorite kind of coffee shop. Gets her coffee, opens up the Bible, and they're right in front of her. From the book of Matthew, I was sick, and you took care of me. And the Spirit illuminated that word, and she knew God was telling her exactly what to do. And she did. She flew out that day. She was the daughter-in-law of the year award winner, the mother of the year award. It was wonderful. And, and I can't count how many times I've needed to know what God's will is. And just in my regular daily Bible reading, boom, it's right there. It's amazing. Now, not every day, not even every week, but why I'm such a fan of going through scripture regularly even when you don't feel like it, is you're just opening up the doorway for God to speak to you, often just when you need to hear him. It's an amazing thing. It gives light to our eyes. But when we read it, we have to have a certain attitude, and that is this. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. Now, fear here is reverence. It's awe. 
It's recognizing the greatness of God. It's that I'm reading someone that I really need to pay attention to because they know what they're talking about and they're, they're powerful. This connects our attitude towards scripture with our attitude toward God. To disdain scripture is to disdain God's authority. You've seen this in real life. You ever been at a grocery store? Maybe you were the parent of the grocery store. Mom tells Johnny, Johnny, put that candy down. I mean it right now. And Johnny holds onto it with the death grip. Johnny, I'm gonna count to three. Johnny stands there to finally, all right. One, two, two and a fourth, two and a half. Johnny, two and three, fours, two and seven, eight. I want to scream three, 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 just to stop because it's clear. Johnny isn't really disobeying the command to put the candy down. He's showing disrespect to his mom. And that's what happens with scripture. It's not these arbitrary laws that we're breaking that some legislators have passed that don't know what they're talking about. It displays our attitude toward the God who inspired them and who gave them to us, which is why to get the most out of this word, we have to have a heart of obedience and surrender. Obedience opens up understanding of God's word. Disobedience starts to close our eyes. John Bunyan, the famous pilgrim said this, this book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. If you despise this book, if you don't care about this book, if you think this book is ridiculous, the Bible would say, first check your heart. Maybe it's not an intellectual disagreement. Maybe there's something moral that's keeping you there. And then we're told that the word of God endures forever. I love this. The Bible's teaching is not outdated. It'll never be the place. Oh, we've outgrown the Bible. We had the Bible for the first century, maybe through the 15th century. We don't need it anymore. The Bible, this will be the Christian's call, the Christian's direction, the church's playbook till the end of time. If Jesus should tarry, this book should direct every believer as much in 3023 as it does in 20. 23. It will never become outdated. Now, look, I respect science and medicine as much as anyone, but the track records of both, they're not all that great. In the time that my grandparents were alive, this is how they treated kids with a toothache. Give them a little bit of cocaine. They'll forget about the, yeah, sure they will. Or not that long ago, here's what you want to do. If you want something healthy, you smoke the cigars. They're called health cigars. Why physicians call our new brand a, a health cigar? Or look, a car that wants to say, we have the safest place. You want to make sure your babies are safe when you drive? Buy a Corvair because they've determined this is the safest place to put your child in the rear window well, happy and safe and comfortable. 
Look, when I was in college, I loved astronomy. I took this astronomy class. I loved the book, the colorful pictures. It fascinated me, so I kept it. I didn't keep a lot of textbooks because they were so expensive, but I loved that one. Then when I was going through seminary, we, were, we entered our poor stage where we were trying to come up with every penny we could. And I said, I'm just gonna have to sell it. We were in a college town and every quarter, the guy would come back in and buy old textbooks. And so I brought my textbook, five or six years old. And he looked at it and he laughed at me. This thing is so outdated, it's not even worth pennies. Not even a decade had passed and all that I'd learned about astronomy, he said, you know what? Half of it is probably wrong. So we look back and laugh at some of these medical things in the past, but just remember not that long ago when we were told, if you get a package from Amazon, you better leave it outside for three days. Why? You might get COVID from cardboard. It's literally what we were told. And so look, I, I have the highest respect for the scientific method, not so much how some scientists apply the scientific method. But this word, it will never get outdated. It is never wrong. God will never say, oops, I got that wrong. His word endures. Matthew 24, 35 says this, heaven and earth will pass away. My words never pass away. They'll always be relevant. Now, it's true, some of the ceremonial, the ritual, the hygienic laws of the Old Testament, they don't apply today. God was working with the rather primitive people, bringing them to the place where the Messiah could be presented in all of his glory. And so Paul tells us that some of the, the commandments in the Old Testament are a shadow of what is to come. The whole temple, it was a shadow that would be fulfilled in the Messiah. But when you look at the message of the Bible, the enduring truth, the prophecies that came true, it is amazing how much it endures. It will never not be true that the Messiah was born of a virgin in Bethlehem, chased out of Egypt and raised in Nazareth for prophecies a thousand years before Jesus was born. It will never not be true that the Messiah must come from the tribe of Judah as Jesus did. One of 12 tribes they could have chose. They chose Judah. It would never not be true that the Messiah, Jesus, would enter Jerusalem on a donkey. Who calls that? It would never not be true that the one who betrayed Jesus and sold him out would use his money to buy something called the potter's field. How do you predict that? It will never not be true that Psalm 22 doesn't almost eerily show what it was like to, for Jesus to be crucified a thousand years after that book was written. And it will never not be true that Jesus, the Messiah, must be crucified and on the third day be raised to life. And brothers and sisters, if all of those enduring prophecies are true, it is certain we can take it to the bank. We have no doubt that this Messiah will come back to claim his own. And that everybody who puts their trust in him will receive eternal life. These are enduring truths, trustworthy truths that we have because this 
Bible tells us that is true. Which is why, this is where the psalmist should go. He calls them more precious than gold, than much pure gold, sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. I, I believe this more precious than gold. I might seem weird to some of you, but I don't remember if it was late high school or early college. My parents asked me what I wanted for Christmas, and there was this new translation that was coming out. All the cool people had. It was called the NIV, the New International Version. Most people were reading the RSV or the King James Version back then. I said, I want the NIV Bible. Right? Well, my parents said, well, what else do you want? I go, I don't want to tell you anything else because you might get me something else, and it's really all I want. Well, you got to tell I go, no, I'm not going to give you anything else. I just want the NIV. So, of course, Christmas Day came. And I had all of these presents and I'm opening and I got an umbrella, which you kind of need going to college in Washington. I mean, all these things. And then my heart broke because I opened up this paperback edition of the NIV New Testament. And I wanted the whole thing, the, the brown hard copy. And I was terrible about expressing my disappointment. I didn't want my parents to feel bad. So I did what I did in high school. I went out for a 16 mile run my mom kind of figured out what's going on. And I said, I just really wanted that Bible. And they got me that Bible. And it's this Bible that I've had for over 40 years. Now, it's not a hard brown copy because what happened is that copy just tore off. And then my wife, for one of my anniversary or birthday or something, went to a guy and he, he put it in leather, kind of ironed out the pages. You can hardly see a place where there isn't writing, sometimes scribbling from one of my kids when they got a hold of it. I can't remember 99% of the Christmas gifts I've received. None are more precious than this. It's an insult to the Bible to compare it to gold. How valuable it is. It's so easy for me to believe that. We take it for granted, but can I say, it was only 500 years ago in 1526 that William Tyndale translated the first New Testament in English so people could understand it. And he was so thanked by the church for doing that that 10 years later in 1536, he was burned alive at the stake. I'm gonna be William Tyndale's homie in heaven. I've had so, I'm just gonna say, dude, thank you, Bill, thank you, thank you, thank you. All of these times, I mean, just this last month, excited about what's happening at Cherry Hills, reading through the book of Acts, seeing the shared leadership, the movement, the power of the Holy Spirit, being reminded this week, reading the book of Romans, Jesus has done it, salvation is by grace through faith. It's always based on Jesus. The, the practical teachings of Colossians, this book <coughs> is filled with treasure after treasure, so much more valuable than gold. And it is sweeter than honey. How do God's commands taste to you? To the healthy soul, they're desirable. I, I'm married to one of the world's healthiest eaters, a lot of you know. And Lisa's patient. She always wants to up it, just another level. So we got married. I'm having milk for my cereal, my chai lattes in the morning, and Lisa says, what? why don't you try this almond milk? It's got a little less calories. You don't really need all that dairy. And I tried it. Oh, okay. I, I like it. It's good. 
She lets a couple months go by. Hey, Gary, here's unsweetened almond milk. You don't need all that sugar. You won't miss it because you had it on the cereal or your chai. I tried it. Yeah, actually, it's, it's all right. Okay, I'll, I'll take the unsweetened almond milk. And two weeks ago, here's organic unsweetened almond milk without all the fillers. I didn't know what that meant, but I poured it on my cereal and white chunks came out. I'm like, honey, what is it? She goes, we well, got to shake it up. It doesn't have all the fillers. Then I tell you, I go, but it's sour. And she goes, well, sometimes you have to learn to like what's healthy. I said, no, no, no. I'll be semi-healthy, all right? I'll go. I, I, we don't have to, with the word of God, thank you, Jesus. We don't have to choose between healthy and tasty, all right? God's word is spiritually nurturing, but it is tasty. It is delicious. It is the best. And notice the writer uses the two main desires, money and food. How much time do we spend earning money and pursuing money? How much time do we spend shopping for food and preparing food? And he says, if your heart is open and soft before God, this is more valuable than both. That's how incredible it is. Now, two caveats I want to end with before we get out of here. One, Cherry Hills is a Berean church. What do I mean by that? Kurt and I see ourselves as under scripture. We don't want you to have two competing orthodontists preaching two different truths. The way we resolve that is we put both of ourselves under scripture. But you should too. In Berea, they were told that they were more noble than others because when Paul taught, they would test whatever the apostle Paul said against the writings of scripture to see if it was true. Now, if it was noble for people to test what Paul taught, it, for all things good and holy, test everything I say, taste everything Kurt says, because the authority in Cherry Hills, it's not what we say scripture says, it's what scripture actually says. Scripture is the authority for this church that all of our, we put all of us under it, what we believe, what we practice, what we proclaim. And then the second caveat is this. There is a greater, as, as much as I love scripture and cherish scripture and honor scripture, I have a greater love. And that love is Jesus. It's Jesus. In one sense, it's not fair to pit Jesus against scripture because scripture is Jesus speaking but the purpose of scripture is to point us to the beauty, the sufficiency, the wonder, the deity, the glory of Jesus. And it's possible to miss Jesus by focusing only on the words. I had a university professor that did that. At the time, he knew the Bible better than I did. And he would just kind of ridicule what it stood for. You can know the Bible and not know salvation. Knowing Jesus is the way to knowing Salvation. Trey Wingo was a podcaster on ESPN, early morning show. So he had to get to work early. He stopped, it was in Connecticut, filled with Dunkin' Donuts. So he'd stop at Dunkin' Donuts every weekday, get his coffee. And you know, a barista, when you have a regular customer, they just start to make it ahead of time or they see him and they just make it. For a couple years, he'd just go in, he'd pick up his coffee and he would go. One morning there was a trainee 
And so Trey started to express his order and the barista said, oh, don't worry, Trey, we got you. And he made the drink and he handed it to the trainee and then a trainee is gonna read it. So he goes, all right, got a decaf cappuccino. And Trey goes, no, I don't drink decaf. I'm starting the day, I just gotta get going. And the barista horrified says, Trey, I don't know what to tell you. For two years, you've been drinking decaf. <laughs> we thought that was your drink, that's what you're getting. You're following a system. You're consuming something intellectually. Can you trust it? Is it reliable? Will it endure forever? Will it give light to your eyes? Does it point out the way to salvation? Our senior pastor, is getting his jaw aligned so we can keep eating and speaking. We need to keep our souls aligned as a church. How do we keep our souls aligned? By living according to God's word. So let's read this passage together. Please read it with me. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey than honey from the honeycomb. By them, your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Let's pray. Father, of all the gifts you gave us, next to Jesus, salvation, your spirit, Lord, your word is such a treasure. Lord, if some people have wrecked their lives following what they feel, think, or their friends say, I pray they would give your word a chance. Lord, if we've grown apathetic to this incredible resource, I pray for a new hunger to know it, to study it, to learn from it, to sit under it. Lord, let us be faithful to your word. Let Cherry Hills be known as people of your word. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.